The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation. Through Christ our Lord, Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of St. Pius V. He also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you this evening? Just fine, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for meeting uh, yes, on this, yeah. uh, this evening. Yes, Father. One day earlier than the usual show. But, That's right. Um, you always ask for prayers, and so I'll ask for those prayers for Bishop Kelly. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I'll be going to Bishop Kelly's funeral in New York, and so we needed to meet a, a night earlier for this. I appreciate everyone's flexibility in doing that. Uh, please continue praying for Bishop Kelly, and uh, please also continue your prayers for all those dear souls we know who need them. It's a long list. Uh, but, uh, please keep Mr. Uh, Paul Riley, Paul Riley, in your prayers and his family. Please keep uh, 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 Cheryl. Johnson, your prayers, Pat, Pat Tootie, uh, Nancy and Lori, and their cousin, uh, Monsignor Handworker. And uh, again, there are just so many others. Uh, one of these days I'm going to bring the complete list and read, the, read them all. But God knows who they are. That's the important thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you just pray for all the intentions that our priests uh, receive, all the requests that are made to us, God will bless them. And also bless you for your charity and praying for them. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Father. Uh, thanks, thanks for being here tonight. Did you um, want to ask Father if you had any reflections um, that, that you wanted to share on the, the passing of, of Bishop Kelly? I know he was someone very near and dear to you for many years, but a very, mm -hmm. um, very big role in your life. So, is there any, um, any, any thoughts that you that you'd like to share in regards to his life? His well, Bishop Kelly was a priest for fifty years, a bishop for thirty of those years, and uh, I shared many of those years with him, right? And uh, helped him actually uh, get the curriculum going at the seminary and then taught there for so many years. Um, and, uh, but before that, we shared a lot of duties, pastoral duties. Uh, Bishop Kelly was uh, named superior here in, in the United States by Archbishop Lefebvre uh, way back in, in uh, the late 1970s, actually, or even mid-1970s, and um, so even my tenure years, uh, even my tenure uh, in the early years with the Society of St. Pius V was uh, with Bishop Kelly as the superior. St. Pius X. Yeah, St. Pius X, I beg your pardon, you know, and uh, of course, you know, the events then, we won't get into them right now, but uh, unfortunate, but in God's way, perhaps necessary. Uh, again, Bishop Kelly was 
chosen by uh, the priests as a superior. And um, so it remained. It was then that he was uh, consecrated by uh, Bishop Mendez, right? And uh, as established the congregation of St. Pius V. And so, and the daughters of Mary, of course, uh, subsequent, well, actually prior to that, uh, frankly. So, um, in the course of those years of his uh, priestly life, he established uh, the congregation for the sisters, the congregation for the, for the priests and the brothers, and um, established St. Pius V School in New York. Um, and, uh, you know, was instrumental in so many other good works. So, uh, and all of that basically starting after his ordination in a refurbished garage. Uh, his brother's refurbished garage was the beginning here. <laughs> so, uh, it certainly has, uh, I would say, expanded dramatically from that. It's almost like a single cell growing into a, a, a good sized organism. So, um, we owe Bishop Kelly our prayers and our gratitude. So we need to keep him in our prayers continually. And I know as long as um, his, you know, there are those whom he loves here and he does uh, continue to, um, to have that care for souls, um, that his work continues. So uh, we need to provide for him the prayers uh, for his own soul, but for the souls of all those he still holds near and dear as well. Mm -hmm. His spiritual sons and daughters and the yeah. congregations and so on. You also, uh, you mentioned Father on, uh, during your, your sermon on, on Sunday, had a, a, I thought a few um, beautiful words in regards to Bishop Kelly. Any of our viewers could go on our website and find that um, find the sermon and, and, and mm -hmm. listen to that. But in that sermon you mentioned that he actually consecrated our, our altars here um, mm -hmm. at Immaculate Conception. So we certainly um, owe him debt of gratitude for that. But, uh, but Father, in, in asking for, uh, for prayers, you know, we, we have, have the prayer request at the beginning of every program and asking now for prayers for, for Bishop Kelly. Is there any, um, I, I think it's easy maybe for that just to, to get lost and kind of glossed over. Is there any particular prayers or, or practices that you would recommend uh, someone say for Bishop Kelly? How, how can we say well, pray there, for there him? is the Purgatorian Manual, and one can uh, pray the prayers in the Purgatorian Manual. For the souls of one recently departing, right? That's a very good exercise. Yeah. I presume the prayers for the Purgatorian Manual are not only in a book, which we have, but also online, I assume. Okay. Uh, of course, the prayer, you know, eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. May his soul, the souls of all the faithful departed, the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. To pray that often during the day, each day, uh, would be a very important exercise. Uh, to remember at Mass, if, when one attends the true Mass and receives our Lord in Holy Communion, to remember Him at that time. Um, Father uh, Krug and Father Curatolo have let me know that, uh, Father, uh, that Bishop Kelly's uh, funeral Mass, well, there'll be two. One will be at uh, the St. Pius V School Chapel in Melville, New York, on Wednesday. I'll be there for that. God willing. And there'll be a second at um, the seminary, Immaculate Heart Seminary in, uh, in La, uh, Round Top, New York, on Thursday. And I expect that both of them will be live streamed. I know that one of them will. Uh, I think at least, at least the funeral mass 
on Wednesday uh, from Melville. I think that will be live streamed, possibly also the seminary uh, funeral mass. And then after that mass, the burial will take place. But one can go on the sister's website, the Daughters of Mary, and it's the information is given there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, um, we'll certainly keep Bishop Kelly in our prayers. I think mm-hmm. any... Uh... Remember, of course, in the rosary, yeah. kind of goes without saying, but it shouldn't. Yeah. So it needed to be said. I think any um, any fan of what Catholics believe should also uh, be especially grateful to Bishop Kelly, who was on many of the programs in the early days, and yes, um, can st- our viewers can still view those on our website. But uh, we definitely had uh, some very very beautiful Catholic thoughts to share on the uh, on the early episodes. Well, one so. couldn't can tune in the early early episodes back into the nineteen eighties and yeah. see uh, Bishop Kelly and and hear him. Yeah, he uh, was quite a bit younger. Younger than, well, I don't know, might have been your age at that time, I'm not sure. But uh, in any case, uh, in any yeah. case, uh, that is readily available on the What Catholics Believe website. That's right, that's right. Well, thank you for all that, Father. Um, appreciate you being here tonight. As I said, we uh, had a, a couple of topics we wanted to uh, get into tonight. We wanted to mention a bit a bit about the Advent season that, that we just started, um, but there are also some... Uh, Current events, um, some uh, some of Francis's doings and sayings recently that we wanted to comment on. We didn't um, really get into a whole lot of those last week in our last program, but uh, we did want to mention just just notably um, uh, Francis. I guess uh, recently there was a uh, United Nations climate some kind of climate conference, climate summit. Um, he was apparently unable to attend due, due to poor health, but he had. Uh, he had his, his statement read there none, nonetheless, um, but apparently in that statement and uh, even in his speech in regards to this climate um, conference of the United Nations, he's, uh, he's called for the elimination of, of fossil fuels, wants everyone to, to move away from fossil fuels. But he, he said, um, in particular, we found interesting, Father, he said that uh, in so many words that all the religions of the world need to unite in order to uh, fight this one common goal of, mm. of, of fighting, combating the climate devastation. Mm. Um, is there any significance, you think, to that, Father, and him calling for the world religions to unite around this one? Well, I, again, I think all of this issue. is motivated by exactly what Ettore Gotti Tedeschi, the former head of the Vatican Bank, said. Um, you know, he was a great ally of uh, Archbishop Vigano. And um, the two of them were basically put in charge by Benedict XVI, um, uh, the one of the Vatican affairs and the other of the, well, especially the Vatican Bank, uh, to kind of deal, confront the corruption problem. And uh, when they did uh, confront the corruption problem, there was such a uh, fierce backlash that basically uh, Vigano was... uh, Exiled to the United States as Alexander Nuncio, and and Tedeschi was fired right from his post. But uh, Torre Gotti Tedeschi said that the new religion, that there is a new religion in the Vatican, and that new religion is what he called environmental Gnosticism. And I think this is exactly what Francis is up to now. I think he, it basically you, you would translate that into a modern uh, parlance as neo paganism. I think you'd have to say that uh, what what he describes as environmental Gnosticism is exactly what in common language is referred to as neo-paganism. 
that this is the new religion in the Vatican. Uh, its chief priest is Francis himself, and that is the religion that he's purveying everywhere. And part of it is this climate change myth. Uh, it is myth. It's a religious myth. Is what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a religious mythology. Some would say an anti-religious mythology, uh, which really is um, the spearhead, um, which is trying to ram through neo-paganism throughout the world. Um, Francis is the high priest of this 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 religion of neo-paganism, and. Um, you know, the idea of glorification of the world and nature and uh, the spirits of the world, um, everything from Pachamama to the witch's stang that he carried to the first liturgy of the youth synod. It's all about this, neo-paganism. And uh, he's, he's still pushing and pushing and pushing this. This, uh, this conference is in Dubai, where Francis had said that God wills all religions. At the same time, Francis is trying to absolutely suppress one religion, and that is the traditional Catholic faith and religion. That's the one religion that is unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, that's the one so-called faith experience of his modernism that is unacceptable and, and intolerable to his modernism. Uh, all other faith experiences are perfectly fine. So he calls them together to fight climate change. All the religions of the world. But the one religion that Francis cannot tolerate is traditional Catholicism. Again, it all comes down to neo-paganism. It is the one religion that stands against neo-paganism, and the neo-pagans know that. Francis knows that. Um, so that's, that's what is behind all of this. It's Francis's uh, neo-pagan religion, environmental Gnosticism. It is the, uh, the, the, the silver bullet that the... Uh, the globalists have chosen to hit upon as being like the, the magic, the magic formula for getting their way, uh, globalizing the world under their tyranny. Um, they're going to ram this through to gain control over every single soul on the face of the earth this way. And part of that, a very big, big part of that is going to be uh, health and uh, medicine taking over the entire uh, healthcare process of the world, it's all tied together with this, you know? I mean, look, they are necessarily tied together. Uh, you know, one might say, well, you know, you got the, you got the, uh, the, the disease of the du jour. They've got the disease du jour going around here that they're creating in their laboratories. And they keep warning us, telling us to get ready for this. Um, and they've got, of course, climate change. And environmentalism, and they're they're absolutely strictly related. Why? Because, well, the one has to do with the health of Mother Earth, and how Mother Earth is being polluted. She's being sickened, and uh, she's being poisoned, and we're doing it, and and we've got to stop doing this. Shame on us! Shame on those who uh, are are guilty of climate change, because we are sickening Mother Mother Earth. But the, client, the health care industry also involves ourselves and how they have to then push that issue of the human race and its quasi-health and how that has to be managed. Of course, their idea without, well, we know it because it has become rather public, um, but they will not admit to it. Their idea of public health involves eliminating 
the majority of people on Earth for the sake of the health of Mother Earth, that most of the people on Earth have to disappear. Why? Because our health is, is actually robbing Mother Earth of its health. And so we have to be uh, now paying the price um, by eating insects and, uh, and giving up fossil fuels, as Francis says, we all have to give that up, even though uh, they've been warned by uh, bona fide experts in the field that it'll cost millions of lives, human lives, to do that. Um, but that's, that's not only okay, it's precisely the idea, that's the program, you know. People talk about Bidenomics, you know, is, is Bidenomics working? Well, it's working for Biden. It's, Bidenomics for, for Biden is uh, basically bribery. <laughs> and that, that economy, his economic formula works very well for him and his family, right? That's Bidenomics, really, and everybody else suffers because of it. And that's how it's going to be with this uh, climate change thing. The, the efforts they're going to make to secure the, the health of Mother Earth are going to be made at the expense of the human race. And that's what, that's what they're about doing here because of their neo-paganism. Father, how can anyone stay in Novosorto when they, they see these things? I mean, if they're, they're looking for some kind of um, religion, something, I, I don't know, spiritually fulfilling. How do, I mean, you just hear these just empty, hollow um, things about global warming and climate change yeah. and fossil fuels when you're actually looking for some real, something uh, substantial, something spiritual. How can someone stay in the Novus Ordo when they, when they see these things? How can someone stay in the Novus Ordo? That's a, that's a good question. Well, frankly, Tom, I think it's because they have a false idea of authority in the church. I mean, you look at the arguments that they're making, that you have to follow the Pope. You absolutely have to follow the Pope, no matter what. To the second thing, you have to follow the Pope. And even if you don't follow him, at least acknowledge that he's the Pope and pretend, you know. Um, and so they pervade this idea that, yes, he's the Pope, and no, we don't have to do anything he says. And this is very contrary to the whole idea of the papacy. So people who say things like that and do such things are actually destroying the very concept of the papacy. Others are saying, we have to go along with this because he's the Pope, and this is what he says, so it must be true. Um, and, of course, they're bending themselves into pretzels to try to bring their common sense into line with what is absurd, yeah. okay, and it being used as, as a weapon against them. Um, but people are basically, because of this false understanding about authority in the church, um, are, are goaded into either following this, submitting to this, or leaving the church altogether, or just throwing up their hands and saying, I can't make any sense of this, uh, and just giving, giving up and giving in. But, um, you know, they say, well, you know, Francis has the authority, you have to accept that, and you have to follow him, go with him, trust him, into the third millennium church of the synod and all the rest, synodal church, and so on and so forth. Um, the argument, they use one argument, well, if, if you question whether he's the Pope, then you're attacking the visibility of the church. That doesn't make sense. Why would that destroy the visibility of the church? I mean, after all, when uh, a Pope dies, as happens, of course, every now and then, the church doesn't vanish like Brigadoon, only to be brought back into existence when another Pope is elected, as though the church's visibility somehow 
uh, is impaired or, or even vanishes, you know, during an interregnum, uh, that doesn't make sense. Others are arguing, well, um, arguing for apostolic succession, but apostolic succession depends upon the continuity of doctrine from the apostles. And this is clearly something that Francis doesn't have on his side the continuity of doctrine and worship from the apostles. So uh, the arguments that they're using to try to keep people in line here with the new order are arguments actually against them, but people don't understand that. They look at them very superficially and they just say, well, even if they say to themselves, I don't understand that, it must be true though, because this guy has a PhD, you know, and he knows what he's talking about, and, and, or he has an STD, a doctorate in sacred theology, so he must know what he's talking about. Or he's a canon lawyer, he must know what he's talking about. Um, but I'm sorry, uh, as, as, as they may try to, um, you know, listen to the, the voices, yummer, hit them from all sides these days, um, the fact is the juggernaut continues, the damage continues on and on. And even the Guardian in, uh, in, in England, which I don't like to quote necessarily or cite, you know, has come out and said recently, well, is Francis's attacks on his, on his adversaries, is this part of the end game? They asked that question three days ago. Are Francis's attacks on his adversaries? I mean, he's talking about um, uh, Bishop Strickland, he's talking about Cardinal Miller. Are his, are his attacks on his adversaries part of the end game for Francis? And this is a very strange way to put it. Yeah. His Francis's end game, you know. Um, so, I mean, I mean, even the secular people kind of recognize that there is some kind of a game being played, but it's, it's a matter of life and death. It's even worse than that. It's a matter of eternal life or eternal death. Yeah. It's a matter of souls that, that, that we're dealing with here. Yeah. Francis is saying, basically, that uh, climate change is ultimately a spiritual problem. Yeah. And so to deal with the spiritual problem of climate change, which is purely neo-paganism, a spiritual problem, he wants to marshal the, all the religions of the world to combat climate change. change. In other words, he wants to draw them over all together into his, under his neo-pagan big tent. Yeah. And the only religion that is not going to fit in that big tent and has no place there, just as the pantheon of old, of, of Rome, is true Christianity, traditional Catholicism. Yeah. That's the one thing they cannot tolerate. Father, there's been a lot of um, talk lately about Francis's health and his, notably his, his poor health. And, um, sicknesses, infections that, that he's had. Do you think uh, that he's in any way trying to ramp things up? Maybe um, as he, uh, he, you know, he might be approaching the end of his life. Do you think he's trying to, to kind of... Well, that, that headline in, in The Guardian would seem to imply yeah. that somebody at, at The Guardian thinks so. Yeah. Part of Francis's endgame is though they're saying that Francis knows he doesn't have much time left. Yeah. So he's intensifying his attacks yeah. on the traditional Catholic faith and intensifying his promotion of neo-pagan globalism. Yeah. And uh, I'd have to say, yes, Tom, I, I, I mean, your question is asked for a reason. I agree with your reason. And I actually think that the, the Guardian headline uh, pretty much answers 
its own question. Yeah. That it is part of Francis's endgame uh, to, uh, in a sense, go on a rampage to do as much damage as he can wow. to the traditional Catholic faith and, the, and to the true Catholic church, too. Yeah. Father, one other uh, headline recently was Francis talking about uh, the very very nature of the, the church. He said that the uh, the church is too masculine. I think he even said that it's, that it's sinful right. how, how masculine the church is or something. But, um, you know, he That's said... toxic masculinity. It's... <laughs> He he said that the church needs to be to be feminized. I think the the term he used was he called upon his his cardinals to uh, to feminize the church. And uh, I mean, what's what's wrong with this though? I mean, after all, as he he says that the church is the bride of Christ, so there's certainly a uh, feminine aspect there. But what's what's wrong with this um, this thinking of Francis here? Well, Francis came in roaring against uh, clericalism, right? And so he has a certain hatred for the priesthood. Uh, he wants to basically destroy it and entirely, entirely wipe it out. His idea of Christ as priest is alien to Francis's thinking and, and even antithetical to Francis's thinking. Um, he, uh, he wants to, as you say, feminize the church. And you see, he's doing that in so many ways, on so many fronts. He recently called his cabal of cardinal advisors together uh, to harangue them about getting busy and, and feminizing the church because it's too masculine. Well, it seems odd for him to say that now after he's promoted into positions of power in his church uh, so many homosexuals or homosexual advocates. And, I mean, this is all part of his plan to um, sexualize, sexualize the church uh, sexualizes leadership and sexualize it in a feminine way. He wants his church to be uh, basically the church of feminism. Uh, but again, I mean, it goes back to his neo-paganism. I mean, if you talk to those who are involved in neo-paganism and you talk to those who are involved in Satanism, they, their emphasis is on the, uh, the, the, the mother goddess. The emphasis is, is all about that. The mother goddess, and in Satanism too. I mean, the idea is the feminine uh, aspect in in uh, Wicca is extremely strong, and uh, the male influence is is very secondary. Um, it really is a matriarchy, and I don't say matriarchy in the sense of uh, motherhood in the true sense, not mater matris but a matriarchy in, in terms of the Mother Earth Goddess sort of pagan Gaia yeah. attitude. This is a, a common thread. I mean, I know that the pagans and the, um, the Wiccans uh, insist that they do not agree with each other. The pagans say there is no Satan. There's just these forces of nature we personify. Or perhaps they even believe they are persons, you know, that they invoke. They have somehow the power of the will to invoke these powers of nature. And the Wiccans say, well, you know, there is a, an actual devil. But, of course, even some of the Wiccans insist that he's just a symbol of their um, rebellious wills, you know, and, uh, demanding autonomy from any, any godlike control, any divine control. But the fact is that they're, they're too... They're joined at the hip, these two. I mean, they're, they're like Siamese twins. Uh, paganism and uh, and uh, Satanism really are. 
their their moral code comes down to the same thing and thou harmest none do as thou willest in other words do what you want just don't hurt anybody well we see that they don't limit themselves to white magic they will go in for black magic against their enemies or to get back at somebody so all that talk about and thou harmest none um you know that that's pretty meaningless when it comes to wiccans uh but satanists too um uh, they believe in, in, well, black magic, the occult arts. They, they go in for that. And, uh, but they both have in common also this glorification of the, what they call the feminine, um, the, the, dominant, the dominatrix, like the, the dominatrix of the human race is really their primary quote-unquote deity. And... Uh, it's like Medusa. It's very, very hideous. It's a hideous reality. So as much as they might tell you that they are not the same, and, and they have many points, uh, disparate points between them, the fact is, at root, they come from the same source, and they end in the same place. Mm. And it's, it is what we would have to see as neo-pagan globalism. Uh, which Francis actually is, is serving as the high priest out of the Vatican right now. Yeah. Father, what do you, uh, what do you foresee happening if we um, really are headed towards the end of a, of a Francis papacy? What, what, what comes next? Well, there are those who are insisting that um, they're, they're waiting for the next uh, pope to come along and he'll be, you know, he'll reverse what Francis has done you know, put the church back together again, get everybody back on track. And this is, uh, talk about a mythology, people believing in, in, uh, in mythology. Francis has already stacked the so-called College of Cardinals. Um, and they, they, there's a lot of talk that he's already chosen who he wants his successor to be. And the man is every bit as radical and even more openly a feminine than he is, than Francis is, a feminine in his preferences, you know. Has there been any talk about who that is? Yeah, there, there have been talk, there have been talk about that. There, there are uh, two or three pop um, you know, people um, that um, have come up over the years with Francis, yeah. one worse than the other. Uh, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah. But anybody who's holding out hope for that, um, I think, is is sadly mistaken. That they're not actually addressing the problem as it is, in the hope that it simply goes away. It's not simply going to go away. Uh, Francis has said that he wants to make changes that may, that are so grave that it's irreversible. That what he is doing is irreversible. It cannot be changed. It cannot be changed back. Uh, it can only be changed one way, and that is to make it more radical. And Francis is doing a, an excellent job of uh, demolition of the traditional church and what is left of the traditional Catholic faith. And uh, he's turning people, um, even, even people who are reluctant and who recognize the problem, are actually being influenced by him. Um, perhaps even unbeknownst to them, perhaps even unconsciously, they are, they are learning from him and their faith is being affected by him. It's being destroyed by him.
um, because they're continually adjusting um, their faith to allow for him and to excuse him or ignore him or whatever they have to do to cope. Uh, but it's all destructive of faith. The only solution is to practice the traditional Catholic faith, uh, assist devoutly at the traditional Catholic Mass, receive the traditional Catholic sacraments, and just be Catholic, be traditional Catholics in, in thought, word, and action. You know? That's the only solution because, um, well, uh, I mean, even, even the enemies of Christ acknowledge that this is the one thing that they themselves recognize stands in their way. Yeah. I mean, recently in, in Spain, uh, in Madrid, Catholics were ordered were ordered not to meet and pray the rosary in public. They were forbidden to pray the rosary in public. Uh, it's clear, you know, the, the socialist authorities there feel that they cannot contain this. They can't control this. They're trying, therefore, to suppress it and prevent it from happening. And uh, even now, I mean, after all of this, the damage of the Novus Ordo, uh, there's enough faith left in the hearts of those people, that hundreds of them showed up uh, immediately with their rosaries in hand, holding them up in front of the police, standing there with their riot gear on, <laughs> you know. Again, they're standing there with their riot guns, their helmets and their vests and all the rest, against people holding up with rosaries and praying, you know, they're not ch chanting threats or anything, they're just praying the rosary. Uh, what, a, what a monstrous juxtaposition of you know, state power against people with, with faith, you know, and, uh, and hope and charity. I mean, uh, every one of the, any one of those, uh, you know, operatives of the socialist state might be willing to bring a rifle butt down on the head of one of these prayers or, but any one of those who are praying the rosary would immediately go to the aid of any one of those policemen who was in need, you know. It's such a contrast of, 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 of hatred on the one against, I mean, basically, supernatural charity on the other. That's the real, that's the real confrontation right now. Yeah. So um, we, we have to practice the true faith. Um, not only has history and the church herself and her tradition told us, this is the truth faith, this is the faith of Christ and he alone, is the is the savior and he alone can um redeem us from our sins and save us from the fires of hell but even uh, even the fires of hell basically are telling us that that's true because they're doing everything possible to suppress the traditional catholic faith mm. well father you talk about practicing that faith where um we just entered the season of, of advent could you uh Maybe speak a few words about Advent, how we can uh, have a, a good traditional Catholic Advent. Well, somebody asked last the last program if uh, Advent is a penitential season just as Lent, Lent is. And the answer is no, it's not a penitential season so just as Lent. They were asking because there are obvious differences between the Lenten season and the Advent season. Uh, the Advent season never gives up the Alleluia. The Alleluia, which means, uh, you know, praise be to God, um, is a, a, sim, a cry of joy, you know, rejoicing. Um, 
But it continues throughout Advent, even though during Lent, it is formally uh, excluded from the liturgy. Um, so one does not hear Alleluia at any time during the Lenten season. But in the Advent season, we, we continue to hear it, you know, in, in the Masses and of the Sundays and the weekdays and so on. And uh, the Alleluia verse also continues to be said, as opposed to Lent. So, uh, and as I mentioned, Tom, the, the, the reason for the difference uh, is that in wearing the purple of Advent and in Lent, we are actually preparing. We are preparing ourselves for a, a great event. And the difference between these two great events tells you the difference between these two vigils. Uh, Advent is like a long vigil of waiting for the Savior, the promise of the Messiah to come. This is the, the subject of, of Advent. And so there's an, an, an eager anticipation of a very blessed event, literally, a blessed event with the birth of our Lord. That is something we anticipate with great joy and with unmitigated joy. Okay? In Lent, there's anticipation, but the anticipation is of um, what you might call a tragic event, and that is mankind's crucifixion of the Savior. Uh, we celebrate his birth. Uh, that is our focus during Advent. And during Lent, we, we anticipate and, and uh, you know, follow through with him during his public life as he is being contradicted and threatened, even to the point of being charged, um, condemned to death, carrying the cross. We follow him all the way to the foot of the cross. That's the event, the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross, all of his passion and suffering. And so even though that is why he came, and it was a, the most blessed event of all insofar as he redeemed us at that event, we still have reason to lament our sins that made this necessary. And uh, so we, we glorify God because of his part, and we lament and we express our grief at our part in the passion and death of our Lord. This is what we anticipate in, in Lent. So the, the difference between these two events uh, really characterizes the difference in these two seasons of the year. Advent is a time of anticipation. It is a, like a long vigil. Um, actually, it's four Sundays this year, rather quite brief, quite abbreviated. Um, is meant to characterize the 4,000 years of uh, the waiting for the Messiah and um, the anticipation of the, the chosen people, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their offspring. Those of the faithful who anticipated the coming of that Savior looked forward with great joy and reverence at his coming. And so that's the spirit of Advent right there. Very good. We have to uh, make sacrifices. We have to do what St. John the Baptist said, makes straight the way of the Lord. So whatever is crooked in our dealings, we have to straighten out. Uh, whatever is proud, like the mountains, have to, be, have to be leveled. And the valleys, whatever is low in us, has to be filled in, right? Um, you know, we, we kind of take 
what the Jews understood by those statements about um, leveling the hills, filling in the valleys, and uh, making the rough ways plain. Because when the king would come as the guest of a village, for whatever reason the king might come as there, uh, and be received by a village, that's exactly what they would do. In anticipation of the king's arrival, they would uh, make a kind of great causeway, um, a great highway um, for him to enter, like in triumphal procession. They welcomed the king this way. Um, it took a lot of labor, like a lot of effort. When you receive guests, you know, you do go through a certain amount of effort mm. <laughs> to prepare the way for them, to show that they're welcome. Well, with the king, it's much more. And so that's how it should be for us during Advent. We should consider ourselves to be on notice that the king is coming to us to take residence with us, or at least uh, be our guest, even though he... Even though he's our guest, he's still our Lord, right? We recognize him as the Lord and the King, um, and we want to prepare ourselves to receive him worthily. So uh, I would say the, the entirety of Advent has to do with um, preparing ourselves during that long vigil, it seems too short, really, um, to make the most fervent and loving Holy Communion we can on Christmas Day. And if we make that our objective day by day by day to prepare ourselves to make the most loving and wholehearted reception of our Lord and Holy Communion on Christmas Day, we'll, we have an agenda set up for us. One thing I recommend is uh, to honor the Holy Family during Advent by praying uh, the th three litanies every day. It takes about maybe seven minutes at most, I think, really. Uh, uh, the litany of uh, the Holy Name of Jesus or the Litany of the Sacred Heart. The Litany of the Sacred Heart is a bit shorter. The Holy Name Litany is a bit longer. Um, personally, I prefer the Litany of the Holy Name um, because it is so much tied to the Christmas season uh, when our Lord received the name. Uh, but um, also the Litany of Our Blessed Lady and the Litany of St. Joseph. And if one prays those three litanies each day for Lent, I think that would be a very good pious exercise uh, in honor of the Holy Family to, uh, well, make straight the ways of the Lord, right? mm -hmm. bring down the mountains and bring up the valleys, right? yes, Father. make the rough ways plain. Yep. Well, thank you for that, Father. Very beautiful. I think we can uh, let you go with that. You've got a lot to do with... Uh, of your priestly duties mm. coming up so well, i do have an online conference instruction coming up here and right. as a matter of fact uh right now <laughs> so this is a good time <laughs> yes so. well thank you father god bless you well tom thank bless you too. god yep. bless you have a blessed advent yeah. and uh, uh perhaps I'll, I'll see you there at the funeral mass for bishop kelly absolutely. we ask everyone to continue praying for him yes absolutely thank you thank you father thank you to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of what catholics believe until next time, we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady at Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to pray and do penance. Thank you. God bless you.